0: is related to the last week of Jesus' life. And the Gospel of John, 50% of it is devoted to the last week. So to the Gospel writers, the last week of Jesus' life is absolutely crucial and central to their their Gospel, to their Evangel. So take those readings. All of them relate to Palm Sunday uh, and the rest of the Holy Week. Uh, You'll notice uh, special uh, prayer needs Um, There are many more many of them that you uh, Find here. There are others that you know about in your own circle of friends uh, and we can pray uh, And lift up those people uh, In our hearts this morning in prayer. So let's take a moment before we turn to the word and Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and and uh, center your thinking on? Our great God, we have the privilege of coming into his presence this morning. So let's pray. Pray together. Father, as we approach this special week, uh, this meaningful week, help us to understand it and to lay hold of the, the great story that we see in the Bible that points to this week. Help us, Lord, as a church to respect and honor why we're here. We ask you this morning, Lord, to do a mighty work in our lives individually and also as a church. Uh, We ask you this morning to uh, help us to build one another up in the faith. I pray that we might learn how to pray more fervently. I pray that we will learn how to forgive more quickly. I pray, Lord, this morning that we might be more Christ-centered, more gospel-centered. I pray that we might be able to share our faith more boldly. And I pray, Lord, that we all might obey you more quickly. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to love you And one another more fervently so Lord uh, our hearts are humbled before you this morning we do ask you to protect and guard not only the faith that was once revealed to the Saints but I pray that you'll help us as a church to be united in spirit and in mind god i pray that you'll help us stay on track uh, keep the mission before us and uh, keep us lord from both distractions and from things that might harm us as a church many of our brothers and sisters are hurting and recovering and facing uh, surgery and financial difficulties we lift them up this morning and i pray that you'll help us during the week uh, by calling to our remembrance of the people who uh, you have placed before us so now lord as we uh, turn to your word this morning may your word do its work may your spirit speak to our hearts and help us to uh, apply to our own lives and to the life of our church, uh, the things that we see concerning this special day in the life of Jesus, this Palm Sunday. So we dedicate this time to you, and we give you thanks for it, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, today is Palm Sunday, but what does... What does this mean to us? What does it mean to us as a church? How does it affect us? It certainly commemorates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem six days before his creation on Good Friday. And this Palm Sunday story is told in each of the four Gospels. You'll find it in Matthew 21, in Mark 11, in John 12, and in Luke 19, and the readings. Uh, from those passages are in your uh, morning bulletin. Sometimes, Palm Sunday is referred to as the triumphal entry when Jesus, from chapter 9 and verse 51 of Luke, begins to set his face toward Jerusalem. So the rest of the Gospel of Luke, from 9.51 on, Jesus is focused on his entry into Jerusalem. And Palm Sunday is the story of his approach to that city there were large crowds many of them coming into Jerusalem from all around to celebrate Passover and the crowds along the road that Jesus was on they were right near the Mount of Olives about 2,600 feet above sea level they were able at the crest of Mount, the Mount of Olives to look down 300 feet into the city of Jerusalem and it's there that this story takes place and so they looked into the city, and Jesus had something to say about it. We'll look at that passage this morning. Luke does not mention the palms. And what we're going to do is we're going to study the passage of Luke this morning. But the other three Gospels mentioned them throwing branches in the road, taking their cloaks off and throwing their cloaks, sort of like a red carpet treatment, throwing their cloaks down on the road so that when Jesus passed eventually on a donkey or a colt, into the city, those cloaks were down before him. That's, those are some of the trappings around which this story occurs. They were saying, Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? It means, save us. Save us right now. Hosanna. We sing that. We often, sometimes we don't know what a lot of these words mean, but that's the request. And what most of the pilgrims wanted was, Lord, save us from these Roman occupiers. They were thinking that their Messiah would be a political and a military leader, and that when he would come, he would drive out the Romans. Jesus comes into the city not on a war horse, but on a donkey, indicating that he was not coming to make war in a military and political sense, but he was coming to bring peace in a spiritual sense. now if you have a Bible and I hope you do would you please turn to the gospel of Luke chapter 19 Luke chapter 19 those verses could very well be up on the screen right now I'm not sure but I trust that that's going on so here's this this story right here that we're going to read is not in the other Gospels it's the only time you'll hear about this as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city that's Jerusalem He wept over it. And he said, I want you to notice the number of times that he uses the word you. Now, the wonderful thing in English is that you can be plural and singular. So we could say you and we could talk about every one of us in the room. Or I could say you and I talk about one person. So let's look at that. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace... is as much about judgment as it is about salvation. And this story concerns those events. Now, on the one hand, there certainly were outward expressions of hope and promise. There was joyful praising. If you look at verse 37, if you have your Bibles open, verse 37 of the same chapter, there was joyful praising of God and loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen many of these people had come from bethany it was in bethany where mary and martha and lazarus lazarus was dying and even died and jesus raised him from the dead in chapter 11 of the gospel of john jesus had done many miracles and that was one of the more recent ones and so there was this joyful praising there was also criticism everywhere jesus went he was criticized he was adored by some he was believed on by many others he was rejected by most, and he was criticized, and eventually they sought him out to kill him. That's what they did with the prophets, and that's what they did with the prophet of prophets, the prophet, they killed him. But Jesus says the stones will cry out. That's in verse 40. Now we we weren't there. So we don't know if Jesus is pointing down at the ground and saying, These stones? or because they were over the crest of the mountain and they were looking down into the city and the first thing they saw was this beautiful temple, if he was saying the stones, it doesn't say these stones, it says the stones will cry out. Was Jesus referring to the temple? Was he saying that if you rebuke the disciples and they're not going to be able to say anything, if they can't speak glory to my name, then that temple will be a source of glory and witness and will cry out, To you, the context certainly fits that because they're quoting Psalm 118 in verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected will become the cornerstone and the capstone. And the story that we just read that was up on the screen talks about how not one stone will be left upon another. Was it those stones that Jesus was talking about? Nevertheless, Jesus wept. He wept over the city. That's a strong word. Jesus didn't just get tears in his eyes. Jesus was sobbing. Jesus was weeping and crying and wailing. That's what that means. Why was Jesus doing that? After all, they were praising him. They were singing him. They were saying, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Why was he weeping? Because Jesus knew their hearts. And Jesus knew why he came, not as a political liberator, not as a military conqueror, but as a savior and a deliverer. And They didn't see it. Most people don't. Jesus wept over the city. They didn't recognize that God had visited them, that God had come to them. When we celebrate and commemorate Palm Sunday, we remember that God has visited us in the most dramatic and the most powerful way ever when Jesus came and ministered among people. Now, the Bible uses this visitation in the Gospel of Luke only twice. In the Old Testament, visitation either referred to judgment or salvation, You have to look at the context to see what it is. Either God is coming to visit them in judgment or in saving them, redeeming them. So in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and verse 68, we see Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing he said in his prophecy, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and visited us and has redeemed his people and then in Luke chapter 7 verse 16 that's the other example of this visitation in the gospel of Luke the little village of Nain in A-I-N there was a widow who when Jesus came into town lamented and asked Jesus to save her son, to raise her son and Jesus did the widow's son was raised in the village of Nain. And what did the village do after the miracle? This is what Luke seven sixteen says. The people in the village, they were all filled with awe and they praised God. And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come and he has visited his people. So they didn't know the time of God's visitation among them. And if we miss it, If we can't see it in Holy Week, if we can't see it on Palm Sunday, and we can't see it on Easter Sunday, God help us if we can't see the time of God's visitation. That's why it's such a time of celebration for Christians, because the events of Holy Week make all of what we have come to believe become more and more alive to us, our relationship with Christ. Now, why does Jerusalem... Not know the time of his visitation the answer is in verse 42 of Luke 19 in Luke 1942 Jesus said if you had only known what would bring you peace another translation says if you would only know the things that make for peace another one says if you only knew the terms of peace why did Jerusalem not know the time of their visitation because they didn't know what the terms of peace were now the terms of peace is found in one other place in Luke so if we go to that it'll shed some light on what Jesus was talking about so let's look at look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 14 and verses 31 and 32 Luke 14 31 and 32 this is a little parable And parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. Now, I'd like to do a little um, uh, sanctified imagination with you this morning. And that is, let's look at that story again. If you could put that back up on the screen, I'd appreciate it. Suppose a king, let's say that that king is you. You're, you're that king. You, you've got a little crown on your head. I think uh, Pastor Shane was talking about that last week. We're our own sovereign Uh, You you know, if you look around, you can't see the crowns on anybody's head, but the crown is on the heart. It's on the seat of decision-making. It's on who you really are and what you really want to do. That's where the crown is. And all of us represented in this king, or suppose this king, that is me. I'm about to go to war against another king. Let's say the other king is God himself. I'm a king. God is a king. Okay. Okay. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he, me, the king, this king, whether I'm able to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000, God, the other king? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. That's what we need to do, is we need to recognize that our crown is getting in the way of him being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the message of Palm Sunday, that the king has come, who's in charge? I don't like green eggs and ham. I don't like them here or there. I don't like them anywhere. You know who said that? Not Dr. Zeus, but the kid with the crown on his head. And we're like that. I'll serve him here, but not there. Because this is convenient, and out there it's not convenient. There's too much out there. The rest of my life is out there. So, this little struggle that we have for kingship, for lordship, for headship, is an ongoing struggle, and it's a big problem among us. We have crowns on our heads in the elders' meetings, we have crowns on our heads in the deacons' meetings. In the church council meetings, we have crowns on our heads. At home, at work, there'll be crowns on the head when we get into the car and go home today. There are crowns on our heads when we came in here, and this tussle, this warfare, that's going on all the time in our lives. Why? Because we're the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what we. Face on Palm Sunday is what are the terms of peace what are we going to do about those terms how ironical this is because the name Jerusalem Jerusalem has the name peace embedded right in the name of the city now it's not just Jerusalem it's Branch County there are there are thousands of people in Branch County who have not bowed their knee to the King of Kings to the Lord of Lords there are some here who haven't yet heard about it they've come close they understand a lot but they've never really taken that crown and thrown it down and acknowledged the kingship and the Lordship the authority and the power and the right to rule that this King of Kings and Lord of Lords has over our lives that's the message of Palm Sunday now This is partly about judgment, this Holy Week. Our sins are going to be judged on the cross on Good Friday. Jesus is going to be raised again from the dead on Sunday. A good deal of this has to do with judgment. And Jesus' heart is broken when he looks at the city and he weeps for it. In another place in the gospel, we'll put that on the screen, Jesus says, "Oh Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, and then look how it ends. What, that we didn't have enough information? No, you were not willing. And that's a huge obstacle to our surrendering to the king. You were not willing. Now, we have a lot of sophisticated ways of killing the prophets and stoning those who were sent to you. Jeremiah found some of those. In Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 18, he found that people were plotting against the prophet. And what were the tactics that they used against Jeremiah? Jeremiah 18, 18 says, we're going to strike him with the tongue And we're not going to pay any attention to his words. That's how you stone the prophets and kill those that God sent to you. You attack them with the tongue, and you don't pay any attention to their words. In one ear and out the other. Why is that? Because I have a crown on my head, and I will not have this man rule over me. And so this battle rages, perhaps in some of you here this morning. When Jesus says they did not know the things that make for peace he's saying you never approved or you never acknowledged the rightness of these terms you never accepted them into your life as what governs your conduct in other words in the words of Paul they suppressed the truth they they knew the truth but they suppressed the truth they didn't acknowledge it or approve of it so There's a fundamental mistake in thinking that if we understand intellectually the gospel message, it's another thing to embrace it and trust it and respond to it in repentance and faith. That's what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to be riding on a donkey. He's going to be coming back riding a war horse. If you read Revelation 19, you'll see that when he comes back, he rides on another horse, on a war horse, on a white horse. And he's coming for judgment because salvation occurred back then on the cross and the means of salvation were done on the cross. When he comes again, it will be for judgment, not a second chance. And we're purposely left in limbo as to when that's going to be. Purposely, so that we get our act together now while we still have a chance. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the source, and he's the substance of peace. Jesus said to his disciples before he was crucified, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. We think of peace as the absence of conflict. When Jesus talks about peace... He's talking about a relationship with the true and living God. A relationship of reconciliation, a peaceful, a integrated, a whole relationship with him through Jesus Christ. What are the terms of peace? You lay down your arms, especially self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. You admit your defeat. You accept full and free pardon. We call that amnesty. And you swear your allegiance to the new king in your life. Now, the Bible doesn't couch it in those terms. but what, So what does the Bible say about those terms of peace? Repent and believe. Repent and trust. General Grant in the Civil War, his name was Ulysses S. grant and eventually he became so successful in his generalship that when he approached the enemy and he defeated the enemy the enemy would try to negotiate the terms of peace and general grant wouldn't negotiate the terms of peace his terms were unconditional surrender and so his name became known as unconditional surrender Ulysses S grant unconditional surrender grant. God establishes the terms of peace. We don't negotiate the terms of peace with him. We don't say, if you do this, I'll do this. You're trying to make a deal with him. He's the one who negotiates the terms of peace. Now, when Jesus came to this moment in his life, he knew that there was a donkey in a village that he was going to ride on to enter the city. He was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament. And we're going to close this morning, if you'll put that passage on the screen from Zechariah chapter 9. Let me read that for you. Rejoice. Take these words and get them right into your mind and your heart this morning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout daughter of jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous that's who the king is that you're going to bow to you don't want a flawed king every other leader in the world is deeply flawed just like we are but we have a righteous king who is not flawed that's the kind of king you want he has salvation he's gentle that's the kind of king you want you don't want to serve a nasty uh, despot. You want to serve a gentle king. A gentle king who loves you. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He's not just coming to save Jerusalem. He's got his eye on the whole world. He's the savior of the whole world. And his rule will extend from sea to sea. That's why we're engaged in mission that's why we send so much of our budget to other nations that's exactly why because he is going to rule from sea to sea and then there's one more thing and without this last thing there's no terms of peace and there's no peace what is it it's the blood of my covenant in the Old Testament peace was achieved in two ways the first way is to offer up a peace offering There had to be an offering. There had to be a sacrifice in order to have peace. And secondly, the prophets speak of a Redeemer coming, a Prince of Peace, someone who embodied peace, someone who could point the way to peace with God. In the Old Testament, those things are both fulfilled in Jesus. He's the peace offering. He's the Redeemer. He's the Prince of Peace. And look at the result. If you're covered with the blood, when Jesus died for our sins, his blood was shed on our behalf to put away our sin, to bring forgiveness to us, to bring us peace. And what's the result? Freedom. That's what we need this morning. The peace of God on Palm Sunday will bring us freedom, the freedom that we've always longed for. And isn't it ironical that when you surrender to a king, and you surrender to his authority and his power, isn't it ironical that what you get in return is freedom like you've never had before? That's what we have in the gospel. This is the king who brings the terms of peace. They are his terms. And isn't this the kind of king you want for your ruler and your defender? This is the message for Palm Sunday. This is what's on my heart that I bring to you. Don't miss this time of visitation. Don't miss this special Holy Week. Don't let it be glossed over. And don't ignore the terms of peace. Come to him, and he will welcome you. I think Dan is going to lead us in a final song, and then we'll be dismissed in prayer.